This is Greg and Kara. We are sitting in our oldest daughter's bedroom on the floor while they are in another room. So hopefully you won't hear too many trucks driving by. Or puppies barking. Or puppies barking, which is more likely to happen. Or teenagers screaming at each other. That's this is very likely to happen. Very likely to happen. This is real life, folks. And this one's going to be a little bit less, less scripted and formal because we listened to the last one as much as we like listening to ourselves. Uh, we sounded robotic, so we're a little looser. All right. Hey, Stanley Hourwas. I have no idea if that's how you say his name or not. I think it is. Stanley Hourwas, Hourwas, whatever. He has this quote. He's a, he's a Christian ethicist at Duke and um, he says a lot of his students will come up and ask the same question. And that is, how do I know I'm marrying the right person? And Stanley's canned answer is always, you're not. You are not marrying the right person. And that's because nobody marries the right person. And that's because there isn't a right person. There isn't this you know, person that from the beginning of time was made just specifically and particularly for you. He said marriage is marrying somebody and then spending the rest of your life learning how to love that person in particular. And that's actually one of the ways that God shapes us as followers of Christ by teaching us how to sacrificially love the person that we're married to. So it's not like we're looking for this perfect soulmate that God has for us. We're actually marrying someone, and as, as we grow together, we, uh, we learn how to love them. Um, so yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about marriage today and how God uses that to form us into the image of Christ. And as I'm doing this, I do hear a big truck outside, so it might get a little bit loud, but hey. They're resurfacing our street. It they just are. It is what it is. What do you guys want us to do about it? We can't forget about it. We can't do anything about it. All right, so why are we qualified to okay. talk about this? Okay, well, we're kind of qualified. Kind of. Particularly because of year seven. <laughs> year seven was a particularly tough year for our marriage. Um, and it wasn't because of any grievous like huge sins or things that either one of us did. It was just that we had drifted a little bit. In fact, I remember uh, we were sitting after one of our home groups that we were a part of. Um, we we're part of a couple's home Bible study. And after one of those groups, we were sitting in the kitchen. Everybody had led, left except for the, the host of the group and some of our friends who were kind of discipling Kara and I. And they could tell we were pretty tense. Mm -hmm. They could tell we were pretty tense. We were uh, getting on each other's nerves a little bit. <laughs> this is hilarious. This truck is so loud outside, but we're gonna keep going, I don't even care. So we were getting on each other's nerves a little bit and they could sense that. So they actually invited us to argue in front of them. <laughs> they invited us to fight in front of them. So they were like, do you think you could pick something to argue about? Oh yeah. And we're like, oh, please, that's, that's, uh, you guys are amateurs. We can definitely find something to argue about right now. <laughs> so I was like, what do you want to argue about? Let's pick something, pick anything. And you were so confident that everything would go your way. Well, I sure was. It didn't. <laughs> it, it did not. So I was like, they're going to really put Kara in her place. They're going to teach her just how, you know, wrong she is and how lucky she is to have married me. And, uh. So we started arguing 
And they kept interrupting, and they were like, Greg, you can't. That's called sandbagging. That's called bringing up things in the past. You're not allowed doing that. Okay, go. And then we start arguing again, and then once in a while they'd say something to Kara, and then they'd say, Greg, your tone right there is really mean-spirited. You need to relax. And they coached us through this. So it was it was really good for us. Um, Kara, what were, uh, I don't know, what were some of the things that were making that year a pretty rough year for us? You can just kind of set us up that way, and then we'll get into some things that helped shape us. Okay. Uh, year seven in our marriage... I mean, I think they call it the seven-year itch for a reason. I don't know, because stuff just is happening. And we had two little ones at that point. Our daughter, Abby, was two years old. And our daughter, Mackenzie, had been born earlier that year. And our kids are barely two years apart. And so that right there, right there, just that, is a humongous stressor because you're just (laughs) tired. (laughs) And... Um, yeah, just, just raising the kids would have been enough. But I think the big thing for us is that we didn't have anything that we were doing together, any uh, projects, um, any ministry, any areas of focus. We were living in the same house and we were raising these two daughters, but that was it. Yeah. I mean, I had my own ministry pursuits that was going on, and we had started this outreach, I think around, well, no, that was earlier, an outreach for at-risk teenagers. Um, But I was pretty engulfed in the work that I was doing at the church, and uh, because we had two young kids, it was hard for Kara to really uh, participate in all of that. Her full-time ministry position was discipling to, or raising, or at least trying to help two young kids survive. (laughs) And so we were living in the same house, she was doing the lion's share of raising the kids, and I was doing the lion's share of most of my ministry work outside the house, which is not ideal. Anything else going on during that time? Yeah, I had been, um, so for a decade, I was deeply involved in a multi-level um, sales home-based business. I'm not going to say which one it was, but I was pretty successful at it and so it was you know work from home and um was you know making pretty good money and um I don't know I guess you could just call it 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 was successful and I was ticking off the boxes in that aspect of life and because I think we were not working on anything together it was really easy for me to just start pursuing my own success path you know based on this business that I was in and what was interesting when we really started you know talking with our friends who were doing this marriage group I don't think they were surprised because they had just been married a lot longer than we were they were in you know, a different stage of life. They were a life step ahead of us. Um, But we appeared to be very successful. Um, We looked really good from the outside. You know, Greg was having success. I was having success. We had these two adorable children. You know, we had the trappings of what might have looked like, like the American dream. Yeah, Kara was having success. (laughs) I was a youth pastor. (laughs) So it wasn't like... I was out there conquering the world. I was a youth pastor hanging out with teenagers. But Kara was doing really, really 
well for herself and for us as a family. We'd got a couple new cars. We were going on trips. I mean, it was she was doing really well in this in this uh, um, this business world that she was a part of. So, yeah. And along with that, we were we were disagreeing about mm-hmm. how to raise our two year old, our our girls. We weren't. We just we couldn't get on the same page about that. We were raised in different families in different ways, and. Um, so, you know, who you marry, you're not the person that counseled us so that you're not just marrying that person, you're marrying their family. And in fact, Kara found this, why don't you read your, your quote at the bottom there from The Second Mountain. This is a hilarious quote by, by David Brooks from a book called uh, The Second Mountain. So David Brooks says, a psychologist's joke is that a marriage is a battleground in which two families send their best warriors to determine which family's culture will direct the couple's lives. <laughs> and we were having some cultural warfare. Oh, yeah. We were raised in very different families that had their own unique strengths and weaknesses. And uh, um, it was coming to a head as we were figuring out how to how to raise our two-year-old specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, today, that's, that's where we were at. You guys might be able to relate to some of those things. But today we want to share... Some of the things, some of the tools that God used during that season that were formational for us, we're doing this cod, this podcast on the basis that, you know, God will use everything that happens to you in your life uh, in order to form you more into the image of Christ. And so your life as it is right now, as our mentor likes to say, is perfectly suited for God to conform you into Christ's image. That's his goal for your life. It's mm-hmm. not as much about what you do it's about who you are becoming and marriage is one of the prime ways that God can disciple you and cause you to become a new person just by you know uh, running into each other smoothing out the sharp edges of each other's personalities there's there's a lot to learn there's a lot of growth to happen in marriage so the first tool, uh, we just have one, two, three, four tools here. The first one was a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And we were reading that book with our, with our group, our couples group that we were part of. The big thing that I took away from that book that was hugely helpful and hugely formational was a shift in my idea of the purpose of marriage. I thought marriage was, you know, I don't think I'd ever admit this at the time, but I thought marriage was intended to make me happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I brought the consumer mentality into marriage. I'm married so that I can marry a best friend who's always gonna be there for me, who will serve me. <laughs> Again, I don't think I'd ever have said this, but I kind of felt like you marry someone because of what they're gonna do for you. Mm-hmm. And Gary Thomas in Sacred Marriage um, said that the purpose of marriage is actually to conform you into the image of Christ. It's, it's the fancy word is sanctification. The purpose of marriage is actually to sanctify you. It's not for your happiness. Your marriage is not there to make you happy. It's there to make you more like Jesus. And the ultimate goal of becoming more like Jesus is to live in dependence upon God in order to love another person. Mm -hmm. So that's 
kind of the big picture that I got out of Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. It's a great book, especially if you're if you're about to get married or if you just got married or if you've never thought of marriage in those along those lines, it'd be a great book to read. You have anything you want to say about that book or should we move on? No, I think you nailed it. Okay, that's the big picture. That's the big point of sacred marriage. The second thing, another important aspect was the community aspect. Um, this is something that really shaped us. You know, getting coach when we weren't fighting healthy that day um, in our friend's kitchen, sitting in our friend's kitchen, that was a game changer because community helps you to see where your flaws are that you probably have blind spots and you probably don't even know the things that you're not doing right. Community, if you have friends that love you enough, will point those things out to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember when our friends announced that they were going to do this marriage group and it was every other Sunday evening for like two hours for 18 months. You had to commit to the whole thing. 18 months. And and we had two kids, we had two, two and kids. under. And the baby was like seven weeks old. And I, like looking back in my memory on this right now, I had never really been a part of a community group as an adult and I came up with like 17 excuses for why we absolutely could not do this <laughs> and why it was the worst possible time and childcare, and I just absolutely did not want to do it uh probably mostly because of the vulnerability aspect. Okay, you spend 18 months with anybody, you're going to get to know them whether you want to or not, and they're going to yep. get to know you. And this was like, this was the church that my husband was on staff at, and I was so nervous for people to see our junk. And oh, yeah. we had plenty of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that's beautiful about spiritual Christ-centered community is that you have to be in it long enough to get annoyed by other people around you who are in that community and you have to be in it long enough for other people around you in that community to be annoyed by you in 18 months two hours a week or every other week um, in some pretty intentional pretty intentional conversation um will definitely expose you and show other people ways that you are absolutely crazy. It's like that book. I, I think Ortberg wrote this book. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. Uh-huh. And you you think you would think that we were normal. We looked normal on the outside. And then as people got to know us, they saw that we had our own, our own personal version of insanity, <laughs> which we all do. So yeah, community, that was another big one. Christ-centered community, people who love you enough to tell you where you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, this is a surprise to me, and I think it was a surprise to Kara too. Uh, at our church, our executive pastor, Dr. David Fletcher, who is a fantastic human being and who we absolutely love, and this is one of the big reasons, is because when he became our executive pastor, he asked to take Kara and I out for dinner with his wife. So the four of us went to Macaroni Grill. And he is so intentional. He picked this place because at Macaroni Grill, at the time at least, 
they had paper tablecloths and you could they'd give you crayons you could write on it so we went to macaroni grill and he's writing out all these things he had us before we had dinner he had us take this test it was a person personality test it's the myers-briggs so the myers-briggs is a personality test that gives you four letters that basically breaks down your personality and um i just remember uh, dr fletcher was just telling kara and i after reading our results all the ways that we perceive the world, all the ways that we relate to others, all the ways that we relate to each other. And he was nailing it. He was absolutely nailing it. And we were so surprised at the massive difference that made in our lives personally and in our marriage, just being a little bit more self-aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember reading the description of my personality type and I'm an ENTJ and the first thing that came to mind was oh my gosh I'm not broken like there's Mm. nothing well there's a lot of things wrong with me but (laughs) fundamentally like at the core level the way that I move through the world isn't wrong and then I read Greg's personality as an ENFP and I compared the two and then I was like oh my gosh He's not deliberately trying to sabotage me and ruin my entire life and just irritate me all the time. We literally perceive the world in different ways. We make decisions in completely opposite ways, but we also have a lot of ways that we're very similar. So having the tool of the Myers-Briggs has actually been a game changer in I would say the last decade of our marriage, it just, it helped me understand you and be able to put myself in your shoes. And I've studied your personality and that type of stuff actually comes up routinely in our conversations. We'll be like, Hey, you know, you're doing that thing. And this is the pattern that I see. And we're actually able to really love one another and know one another at a better level I think just because we understand like the inner workings and the way that um, like your partner's mind is is putting information together and but I think it's given us a fuller picture of of God he put us together and we're so different but when we work together like our strengths complement each other's and I've learned so much from you just about like feeling and empathy and those are just things that do not come as naturally to me because I'm more type A and logical but your strengths bring up my weaknesses and it does it gives us a fuller picture of how God brings two very very different people together to become one right yeah and that's the the kind of the deeper theology that you're hitting on behind this is the fact that a a marriage is supposed to give a more complete image of God to the world. So instead of getting frustrated about the ways that we are different from one another, we actually ought to celebrate and rejoice in those things because it allows us to give a more complete image of God back to the world. That's why, you know, human beings want to worship ourselves. So we want to marry someone oftentimes as similar to us as possible. We want to marry ourselves um, really at the heart of it. But God is God wants us to marry someone different than us. 
And when you put a man and a woman together and they mar- and they're married, um, it actually gives a more complete picture of God because there's things that are different about me uh, than Kara, things that are different about her than me. And so the more we're able to celebrate those differences, the more we're able to rest in God glorifying himself through our image together. Mm-hmm. That's some of the little bit more of robust theology behind there that Kara's getting into, but it's absolutely right and so good. All right, well, let's go on to the next, um, the next and last uh, tool that was really helpful. And it's, it's a book that you wouldn't go to for like that type of deep theology. Um, it's not written for that purpose. It's very practical and also is very helpful for us. Um, it was The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Now, you've heard of that book probably. You've probably read it three times. You've probably been on 10 Bible studies about it and heard a sermon series about it. But here's what... Here's what was interesting for me. Um, J.I. Packer says that love makes the other person great. In other words, love does what's best for the other person. And what the five love languages taught me is that I was trying to love Kara the way that I feel loved. I was, again, like it was a self centered way of loving and caring for somebody else instead of me you know making a study of Kara and figuring out what really speaks to her how could I serve her in a way that really speaks to her desires and needs instead of mine Um, I wasn't I didn't have a category for that in my life I was doing what I thought worked for her because it worked for me and what the five love languages did was open up my eyes that there's a lot of different ways to love people and people receive and experience someone else's love in a multitude of different ways. And I needed to stop thinking in terms of what would I want her to do? And instead, well, what would she want? What's going to make her feel loved? What's going to make her feel uh, cherished and cared for? So that was what was such a game changer for me with that book. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it, folks. I think that's all we have for you today. Um you know, just a reminder that this this podcast, the purpose of this podcast is to hopefully help you become more aware of the tools and the things that God is using to form you into Christ's image um, as we share the things that have been helpful for us, the things that we've seen as we're paying attention to these types of things in our lives. So we hope you're enjoying it. We'll be getting another one of these out to you next week. And next week, it will not be by a window with huge trucks driving by the entire time. Although that was really funny. So hope you guys have a great week. We will talk with you later.